If you were an adherent, no one would be able to tell. You would look like any other American. You could be a mother picking leftovers off your toddler's plate. You could be the young man in headphones across the street. You could be a bookkeeper, a dentist, a grandmother icing cupcakes in her kitchen. You may well have an affiliation with an evangelical church, but you are hard to identify just from the way you look, which is good because someday soon dark forces may try to track you down. You understand this sounds crazy, but you don't care. You know that a small group of manipulators operating in the shadows pull the planet's strings. You know that they are powerful enough to abuse children without fear of retribution. You know that the mainstream media are their handmaidens in partnership with Hillary Clinton and the secret denizens of the deep state. You know that only Donald Trump stands between you and a damned and ravaged world. You see plague and pestilence sweeping the planet and understand that they are part of the plan. You know that a clash between good and evil cannot be avoided and you yearn for the great awakening that is coming. So you must be on guard at all times. You must shield your ears from the scorn of the ignorant. You must find those who are like you, and you must be prepared to fight. You know all this because you believe in Q. From Adrian LaFrance, writing in The Atlantic. Hey, Ben. Hey, what? I know who killed JFK. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was the Cubans, right? <laughs> yeah, it was the Cubans. <laughs> no, it's the Cubans in February, and it's the CIA in March. I, I don't know. This, guys, so we start off with a serious tone here because this stuff is serious. Right. We have conspiracy stuff sweeping across not just our country, but the globe, honestly. That's right. So today we're going to talk about conspiracy theories. We're going to talk about why leaders and organizations should care about them, because this is not just a societal issue. It's just not it's not just an issue about you know your family and your friends, although those are very big uh, concerning components of this issue. Uh, this is an issue that affects all of us. And I think that, you know, most of our lived lives and our understanding of the world or much of it comes through our organizations and comes through the leaders around us and comes through uh, the people we interact with. So this is a big topic. So we're going to talk about it today. Right. And it actually has to do with organizations and people thriving. So two two pieces, though. Um, the articles that obviously that we reference in any of our episodes are in the show notes. So if you want to get those, but this is the Atlantic article that we referenced there and that Ben quoted from at the beginning of the episode is one of the better articles on the QAnon thing. So if you've somehow been in a hole for the last four years or whatever, this would be a good way, a good cliff notes to get you back up to speed. That's right. So today we're going to talk about what is a conspiracy theory. We're going to talk about why do conspiracy theories matter and why we should care as leaders in our communities and organizations. And we're going to try to address what we can do about conspiracy theories. So let's start off with a little bit of definitional work in terms of what are we talking about when we talk about conspiracy theories. And we came up with, uh, we found a few good definitions, some Good research out there. Uh, people study this, right? People in political science, in political philosophy, um, people in criminal justice, uh, a, a, psychology, a wide range of disciplines have and continue to study the phenomenon of conspiracy theories, which, by the way, is not a new phenomenon. It may have come to the forefront of many of our uh, consciousnesses lately, but it's it is a it's been around for a while, right? This, this probably as long as people have been around. There's even an article we came across more of an evolutionary psychology perspective, which suggested that 
you know, conspiracy theories were helpful for us when we lived in small groups and we were trying to understand what was happening and we were, had to be very attuned to threats that were out there. But uh, let's try to define this so we can know what we're talking about. Yeah. So conspiracy thinking is actually a positive. And you, listeners may be like, what? What? It shows that we're imaginative. Hmm. Our minds, when we don't have enough information, go into imagination mode. We cover a lot of this in the crisis communication stuff that we did from some of the CDC's material back when the pandemic was just breaking out, right? Mm -hmm. um, how you communicate, how you behave in an environment when there's imperfect information, because you have to make a decision now. Mm -hmm. right think yeah. of think of any horror movie some guys in the house and you can't get out of the new mansion you just bought <laughs> right not only is the character in the show's mind going crazy your mind as a watcher is going what are they gonna do the dude's in the kitchen he's got a knife you know some bad version of clue regurgitated over and over again right so let's uh use one of these definitions that we came across which comes from an article by Cass Sustine and Adrian Vermuli of Harvard. And what they, and then we'll put a link to that article in the show notes, of course. But what, how they define a conspiracy theory is as follows. And I quote A conspiracy theory can generally be counted as such if it is an effort to explain some event or practice by reference to the machinations of powerful people who attempt to conceal their role, at least until their aims are accomplished. End quote. And I think that that's a that's a good umbrella way for us to at least begin this conversation around what conspiracy theories are. So, you know, uh, when, for example, you you made the joke about <laughs> we talked about JFK, right? Um, that's a, a common conspiracy theory. People trying to figure out who actually killed uh, President John F. Kennedy um, back in the 1960s here in the United States. And, um, you know, there's this idea that you know, maybe there's. There's this group of powerful people the you know, the CIA was in on it and other types of groups that collaborated and the, they conspired to make this happen for some reason. Right. And uh, either nefarious or not. And uh, you can see that element in other conspiracy theories that are out there. Yeah. One common element is it's unfalsifiability. <laughs> right. Well, what do you mean by unfalsifiability? Yeah, so this is the idea that, hey, Ben, you and your family are actually Russian spies. And, and well, what evidence do you have of that? I mean, you can just tell. Look, look at how well-behaved their children are. Some, you know. <laughs> yeah. You, you get, yeah. I mean, I don't that's know if that's, case, I don't right? know if that's the best. <laughs> I don't know if that's the best evidence. But. <laughs> but the point is, is evidence doesn't have to actually be there. Our elections were stolen. Okay, where's the evidence? Oh, we don't have anything for the 60 some odd court cases. And it's 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 implication of nefarious intent without basis. Now, maybe you could say, well, maybe they have that idea, but how would we know? You could literally make up a conspiracy about everything. McDonald's is actually the front for a, I don't know, pro Erdogan Turkey faction. <laughs> and they've kept it all secret all the I mean, you see right. what I'm saying? Like, well, I because, could just right because any the, the lack the, the reason it's unfalsifiable usually is because they're the, the lack of evidence for the claim of the conspiracy theorist um, is evidence itself that exists. Yeah, right? well said. 
Yeah. So, you know, well, there's no well, evidence. Well, that's the point. Well, of, course Don't you, of course there would be. And very quickly, you disappear into the realm of disinteresting unreality, right? There, I can. Well, that's just your opinion, man. You know, it's, mm -hmm. and everybody has all these opinions. But then what is the basis that we can talk about anything right. about anything? And so the EU, actually, because they're a little bit ahead of the thing where the government's actually talking about, hey, guys, here's how we might know about conspiracies, <laughs> right? Right. And so and we they put have, a link to, Yeah, we put a link to this in the show notes, too. They have a great uh, website talking all about conspiracy theories. Right. So there's always an alleged secret plot. Like, your neighbor plans to walk his dog tomorrow at 4.30 a.m. Hmm. Well, that's no conspiracy. He's walking his dog. That's what he does. You know, weird early riser, right? Right. Um, so there's no, well, and, and if we, if we use some of the examples that are going on right now in the United States, uh, which has even kind of crept abroad as well, there are some adherents of this as, as well outside of the United States. Um, you know, this idea of QAnon, that there is this, uh, secret group of people, uh, in high positions of power who are trafficking children and all kinds of other things. Uh, and there's also these alleged secret plots that somebody is going to save all of us. And most notably for that conspiracy theory, it happens to be um, Donald Trump. So it's it's very interesting. But you're right that, uh, you know, as the EU, EU notes, conspiracy theories have that alleged secret plot as one of their key elements. Yeah. And and I think that just speaks to the fact that our mind just doesn't know something. Mm -hmm. And there's got to be some order behind all this stuff rather than random stuff just which, happened which shows how it appeals directly to those who maybe feel uh angry those who feel afraid those who feel powerless uh these types of ideas that you know oh it's not uh you know due to luck or some other thing that these bad things are happening it's because you know there's this group that is keeping us all down so these conspiracy theories can be very attractive for that and then you know the second uh, element that um these have in common is that there's this group of conspirators, right? That's another piece of it. Right. And the third one is evidence that seems to support the conspiracy theory. Mm -hmm. And this is where, you know, people, when you talk to people that are lost in the conspiracy land, it's like, what was that movie? A beautiful mind where he yeah. has all the papers and you can almost see this on their Facebook pages or Twitter feeds. It's almost like they've got the giant layout of pictures and words with the yarn stringing everywhere. And and they're going nuts on these details. But the fact of the matter is their sense, their anxieties are high. Their sense making functions of their brain are on overdrive and they're lost on this gerbil wheel of just running round and round circle. What about this? What about this? And what about this? So where the QAnon guys even get together for conferences to share their obtuseness. Oh mm -hmm. no, man. And then Kamala was there and she had rented a moped and you could tell from the pizza receipt when the cost of the pizza was $9.97. That was short for 1997, which meant <laughs> and and you're you're down the rat. You're lost. You're lost right. at that point. Yeah. Um, the fourth element here is that they falsely suggest that nothing happens by accident and that there are no coincidences. Nothing is as it appears and everything is connected. Yeah. Sometimes it's just it. it's lame feeling. It doesn't have the emotional catharsis to say, you know what? 
sometimes stuff just happens and it stinks. Right. I remember before we were leaving Afghanistan, um, one of the C-147s or, you know, those big planes, right? They had all the gear. Some of the gear had come unlashed on takeoff. And it flew to the back and that plane crashed and everybody on it died. Yep. I remember that. That, that was, it was horrible. We, I, everybody was probably countrywide, but definitely on Camp Eggers where we were, was just, you know, what, what do you say to that? Mm-hmm. And you want, you search, your brain is like trying to bust your head through a brick wall over and over. Why? How? Why? And we know how, like, hey, it just came unlashed. That fell back and it, and, and they're dead. And you can't make sense of it. And your mind just keeps trying like a broken record, just over, over. Why? How? Why? How? Why? How? And so when we're in life, especially we're in a pandemic and a bit of a recession here, depending on, you know, what type of job you got and all this kind of stuff. And we have like a very odd presidency that rules itself by tweet. And you're everybody's just why? How? Why? How? Except now they're not stuck with just an isolated event like a plane crash. They're stuck with this broader, complex economy, healthcare, jobs, politicians, work, family life, because you have somebody moved in with you because of pandemic. They can't. Your life is on the fritz and your sense making is just like, why? How? Only you are in a ripe world full of complex relationships, many of which are just because. Mm-hmm. Why'd you run into that lady at the at the coffee shop? But just because she happened to get a coffee at the same time, not because she was sent here by a Russian informant who knew a guy named Petrov. No, like mm-hmm. no, <laughs> right? So you know, there's uh, th- this element of of everything is happening for a reason, and there's this kind of hidden reality. Uh, a fifth element of conspiracy theories that they have in common that the EU suggests here is that they divide the world into good and bad. And, you know, you can see that in particular with recent events um, with regard to, you know, the the conspiracy theorists uh, surrounding, you know, various things in the United States, be it QAnon or others, uh, where it's like, hey, here's here's what we got to do as the good guys. Here's what the bad people are doing. And um, that that's another way in which they make sense of the world. Yeah. This is also known as black and white thinking. Mm-hmm. And it is a what we call a cognitive distortion. And this is a whole, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy is one of the few therapies that um, modalities that insurance will cover because it's evidence based and has a good basis. And a big piece of cognitive behavioral therapy is getting rid of what we like to call stinking thinking, mm-hmm. right? Black and white thinking. Nobody is all bad. And nobody is all good. That's just not how it works. Or or if you come, and this is what's odd to me when I see this in people, Christian individuals, because one of the scriptures says, you know, all man has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? And so right there in scripture, you know, if you're a Bible believer, it is, it is just, just so that there's no such thing, at least on this earth with humanity, where mm-hmm. there's somebody's all good or bad. And yet we attribute that. And some of this comes from in-group, out-group thinking. The out-group is all bad. It's easier for me to justify shortcutted thinking when I'm able to 
give short shrift to the complexity of the person sitting across from me. Right. You know, this is where we start thinking about other groups or other people as them. You know, this other group of people, be it those people on the left or the right or this political party or that political party. And going along with that, the sixth piece of this from the European Union um, is that, you know, conspiracy theories scapegoat people and groups. They assign blame uh, to certain people or groups for the world's problems and for various um, other issues that are going on in society. Yeah, I see this all the time. Like, we'll just take the re- the Republicans. And a lot of media that I like, like the Atlantic or the Republican Party is, I don't know, last time I saw people like Mitt Romney, who you lauded for standing up and for voting to impeach Trump. Well, he didn't seem like them Republicans, but he has an R by his name. Are you sure? Are we talking about the fiscal conservatives or the evangelical block? I it breaks down. And I mean, not that you can't use groups like LGBT activists are pushing for LGBT rights, right? Like that would be a fair assumption of that group. But to say that every single person under that moniker that were um, being activists for LGBT rights had the same motivations for doing so, well, that would be just incorrect. Right. You know, there are all kinds of sh- cognitive shortcuts that we take as humans to try to make sense of the world. And this is one of them. Um, you know, it's kind of basic social psychology that we we tend to group people. And uh, sometimes, you know, that could be very helpful. Again, going back to kind of an evolutionary psychology perspective, it could be very helpful for quick threat identification. Um, but in a complex society, it can also cause some big problems. And it ties into this idea of conspiracy theories. So, you know, we, we've touched on a couple examples of of conspiracy theories. Um, and, you know, before we get into these, I, you know, it, it's really interesting. And I was just thinking about it. You know, I know that both you and I have conspiracy theory adherence in broader parts of our extended families, in our, you know, kind of broader group of acquaintances and things. We see these because you can tell when they post certain things on on social media and so forth. And it's it's really problematic, right? Um, in the military, on my street in corporations that we've done and organizations we've done consulting engagements from, it's everywhere. And it's because we're a creative, imaginative species. Yeah. And and I think it'd be dangerous to assume that it's just that, you know, people do this because maybe they aren't as smart as you are or something, right? There are a variety of reasons why um, different conspiracy theories can be very attractive to folks. But, you know, some classic examples of conspiracy theories, certainly, you know, going back to... uh, some classic ones related to, um, you know, unidentified flying objects, extraterrestrial life, uh, you know, the uh, stuff out in Roswell, New Mexico and Area 51. Lots of conspiracy theories there. Lots of good fodder for movies, of course. Uh, we mentioned the Kennedy assassination. Um, you know, all the evidence seems to suggest that it was a man named Lee Harvey Oswald who did it. Uh, but, you know, there's there's a variety of different um, conspiracy theories that go around with regard to that you know one in a recent episode you mentioned some of the horrible ones related to sandy hook which sandy hook is an elementary school in the united states that back in uh late 2012 um a deranged young man went into a classroom and shot a bunch of children and and teachers and then himself it was horrific right and, and i would just want to say something there one of the fathers there like he's had to move several times 
his wife divorced him because he got, you know, I'm sure she was just sick of the stress. You know, gun bullets have been shot at his house. Yeah. Well, because of the, what, because of what conspiracy theory? Beca- because they, that this, they were, gov- the kids were government paid actors. Yeah. And this was a government plot, you know, anti-gun type plot. Right. And that's the conspiracy theory. Right. Yeah. That the government is after your guns. And it didn't matter if he had birth certificates. He would talk and I, I'll have to find this podcast and we'll put it in the show notes. He would tell, you know, here's a birth certificate. What evidence can I show you that my, and Ben, you recently lost your son, so you can resonate with this. What evidence can I show you that this really happened to me and my family and that my kid's no longer alive? Mm-hmm. Literally nothing could get through to the conspiracy theorists on Gosh. this. Nothing. And think, put yourself in the shoes of that parent. To somebody that is lost in the delusional sauce, what could you do? Bring them to their house? Yeah. Uh, dig up the remains? Those are fake remains. I mean, right. anything somebody can do, it, it, it crosses a threshold. When no evidence can convict you, convince you, you by definition are unreasonable. <laughs> you cannot use reason to reach your mind. And, right. and and since conspiracy thinking is so rampant, we must all guard our minds from this this kind of garbage that can easily infect because it's how our minds survive. It's built into our survival stuff. But when this thinking thing goes over over overboard, mm-hmm. you get to a case where you have such a tragic, tragic event. And then not only does insult to injury, people who think he's part of a government conspiracy are driving by it, putting his address out on the internet, driving by his house and pumping a full bullets in his direction. Ridiculous. Yeah. And despicable. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, other <laughs> conspiracy theories that we've, we've heard and sometimes are common, you know, you hear things about like the moon landing being fake, you, all these conspiracy theories about the link between uh, vaccines and autism. Uh, you know, the nine 11 attacks were an inside job. Um, all those types of things. And of course, we mentioned uh, QAnon, and we'll put a link to that article in the show notes. So there are many uh, examples of conspiracy theories. Uh, and these are this is not a new thing, right? Conspiracy theories are, have been around for a very long time, as we've mentioned. And if you're a betting person, always bet against the conspiracy. Because <laughs> out of a million trillion conspiracies, one might be true. So mm-hmm. if you just wanted to be math-minded, you just bet against all the conspiracies. But there have been actual conspiracies, right? Um, the cigarette companies. Right. Right? They hid the health risks of tobacco. And it took some, like, amazing investigative journalism and stuff to to pull that out. Yeah. I, I mean, we, you know, um, there, there were people involved, for example, in, uh, you know, doing some secretive... Um, tape recording of conversations at the Democratic National Committee um, offices or whatever in the, the Watergate Hotel, right? Like, like these things do happen, but th- that is not evidence that suggests that the uh, the various items that the adherence of, for example, QAnon suggests, that's, that's not evidence that those are true, right? Um, so, you know, our minds are very susceptible to this type of thinking. Um, but you know, it also raises the question of <laughs> why, why should we care? Um, I mean, you know, so yeah, I thought this podcast was about flourishing at work. 
(laughs) (laughs) And beyond. Yeah. And beyond. Um, Yeah. I mean, so I guess, well, I mean, are conspiracy theories harmful? Yes, they are. I'm now, hey, they can be benign. We're like, oh, that's Uncle Fred. Hey, Uncle Fred, why don't you have another beer and go sit outside with the dogs? You know, okay, great. You know, hey, Fred's outside with the dogs. We can talk about normal stuff now. Yet these are, it's more than just this annoyance at Thanksgiving or Christmas meals, right? Mm-hmm. This is uh, something that caused people to bum rush the Capitol, right? Right. Uh, this is something that caused somebody to shoot up a pizza restaurant, to go kick open a door, to go down to the basement and release a bunch of kids that Hillary Clinton and other people were running in some pedophile ring, and only to find out, oh my God, there is no basement to this pizza place. Mm-hmm. Um, because it takes, so only these types of delusions could get a good person to do a bad thing. Because arguably, if our elections were stolen, or arguably, if there was a pedophile ring that nobody was doing anything about, the most ethical thing you could ever do would be kick the door down and get those kids out. Right. Right? That, that is something admirable. But the problem is, because these are baseless claims, because there is not evidence, the lack of evidence becomes evidence Now you have good people who actually make the world awesome and who build society and are loving parents and and contributors to the community. Now they're doing deluded, deranged things that are harmful, maybe even killing other people based on false premises. Right. So the reason that conspiracy theories can be and oftentimes are rather dangerous is that they they can influence behavior. Uh, You know, you mentioned the January 6th incident, uh, using that term very broadly, at the U.S. Capitol. Um, You had many, many of those people had conspiracy theory ideas and were, uh, you know, going in there to to do the work and to, you know, make make things right uh, in their minds. Right. Um, So conspiracy theories can be used to justify violence, uh, treating other people poorly. Uh, They also can really undermine public institutions and trust. Um, you know, in the ways, for example, that our government works or in those powerful positions, because if, it, if the powerful people are all conspiring to do something, then why should we trust them? Right. And, and that's very problematic when we start to lose our faith in our public institutions and when we lose our faith in, for example, science and medical information. Yeah. So and and I see now I don't have research evidence, but I'm going to go out on a plank on this one. When your life has been, I know that when I was starting my career, I worked some lower level jobs, right? And the ethical uh, criteria for how managers at that level treated me and my fellow employees was bad. There was a general, you know, that they became the man and the man is horrible. The man doesn't give a rip about you. And that's why you would go like a million miles if you just happened to have a good manager that gave you half a time a day. And when you grow up in that kind of situation, so this, you know, if you're in a leadership position within an organization, it behooves you to have ethical treatment of individuals and other people, because otherwise you're just feeding into that thing that powerful people can't be trusted. Mm. You, yeah. you know, why would I trust you? I, I, I'm 
45 years old now. And, and I've had nothing but bad interactions with people of power that didn't have my best interest in means. They're either selling me some kind of fish oil, snake oil garbage on the web. I remember when I was a kid, this water gun shoots 100 feet. I'm like, man, I got to save up for this thing. <laughs> and so I get it. I get it home. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to blast my buddies from 100 feet. And it shot like six feet. I was like, where'd they do the testing? They shoot this off the Empire State Building with a backwood? I was so mad. I was crushed. False advertisement, puffery, all this kind of stuff yields to people not having trust. Yeah. And then when they go to make sense of the world, they're like, well, which option shows the people in power, institutions, medicine, science, all that stuff, to have the least trust? That's the one I'm going with. Because guess what? That's what the world's been for me to date. <laughs> right. So, you know, what you're hinting at here, and I think are, are making the point quite well, is that the way in which we experience life oftentimes is through our organizations. You know, this is an organizational life in our society. You know, we are uh, born into organizations. We participate in various types of organizations. We work in organizations. We are surrounded by um, either virtually or maybe in person sometimes, uh, people who work with us and people for whom we report or to whom we report, um, different hierarchies. And as you mentioned, Chris, when you have people in those positions of authority who over time continually uh, make bad decisions, they undermine trust and confidence, they do things that are unethical, that makes a society in which you know, to from my perspective, makes conspiracy theories much more plausible, right? Of course, I'm going to believe in this secret, uh, you know, group of people who are are doing bad things because every experience I've had with people in positions of authority has been negative. Uh, so, you know, let's move on now. I think this is a great place to segue into, you know, what can we do about it? Do about this, I you know, problem of conspiracy theories as leaders as organizations, as people who are trying to make the world a better place, which I know all listeners of the Indigo podcast are trying to make the world a better place. Uh, so what can we do about it? And let's, let's focus on leaders and organizations here. So what are some things that leaders and organizations can do? First of all, don't shortcut challenging problems. Mm. So you've, you've got an incident that happened. Maybe there's an accident on the manufacturing floor. Or maybe something went down. If you lie about if you lie about what really went on at an ease rather than having the guts and the moral fortitude and spine to stand up there and be ethical in your communications, well, just expect a bunch of, you know, conspiracy thinkings. Because actually, you were covering it up. Mm -hmm. You're feeding this idea that people can't be trusted and this can be some of the the goose what was a goose kills you know you kill the goose that laid the golden egg mm -hmm. right you can you know be easter island where you like burned all your trees to move big stone heads i don't know if that's the real case on easter island but you know <laughs> you you can burn all your trees to move stone heads and then find that you're living on a barren land of no trust and then you're like well now now we got to do a turnaround because economic factors have shifted and you need to pull those levers and have an organization that can fire on all cylinders but guess what you burned all your trees you got no fuel you can't get anywhere right 
Yeah. So I think, you know, at the top of your, of, of an organization and not even at the top, I think, yeah, at the executive level for sure, but certainly even, you know, down at the, the director, the manager, the frontline supervisor levels, you need to promote and be a good role model for decision-making and critical thinking. Don't jump to the, the easy solutions if they aren't right, the right ones. You need to be reluctant to simplify things that are complex um, because that's sloppy thinking. And when we model that in our organizations, then we're contributing as leaders, contributing as managers to the idea that that's okay. And that's the way the world works. Again, life as we experience it is oftentimes through our organizations. And when our organizations are, uh, you know, in inculcating this, this atmosphere of low trust, sloppy thinking, then guess what? We're, uh, should we be surprised that people are thinking in bad ways outside of work? No. Right. And, and here's some of the things. You guys got to have professional models for decision making. You know, if, how you how do you evolve or think about risk? You know, are you using a composite risk management approach? Um, how do you think about thinking? If it's just like, you know, people present me all this data, but then I just go with what I'm feeling. There can be an element of guess, but if you don't have some kind of format about how you think about things, you need to get some coaches, coaching and training here. Um, there's just too much by the seat of the pants that Ben and I see when we're out in organizations and mm -hmm. there are better ways forward. You owe it to your people to learn those better ways and model those better ways of thinking. That's right. You know, so I think it also has to do with, you know, how you're going to engage with conspiracy thinking if it comes up in your organization. Um, and you know, I, I think part of this, as we've discussed, Chris, is defining, you know, what is the realm of legitimate debate in the organization? Um, are just accusations good enough for evidence? Um, you know, what do we do with things that are unfalsifiable in our organizations? How do we deal with that type of thinking? And that's where leaders need to put on their thinking caps and engage in a thoughtful, respectful, yet um, I think principled way about how we do our thinking. Right. And this, because we have not done this, people in the public forum can get away with all kinds of shenanigans. You know, one of the articles, and we'll put a link to this, um, I forget where it was, we've got it somewhere in the notes, but um, this person out of Harvard, another person out of Dartmouth, were doing research on like kind of refreshing our conspiracy uh, thinking science and stuff. And one of the things is conspiracies used to have a theory behind them. There is, well, we know this because of that. And so, you know, they were trying to, you know, come up with some kind of theory, some kind of cobble together evidence. But in the modern environment, people are just saying stuff without any justification. Here's yeah. one I, I heard from a neighbor. This isn't about Joe Biden's presidency. They're going to kill Joe Biden so Kamala can be president. Right. But, well, based on what? Dude, they're just going to do it. Yeah, but anything, <laughs> any theory here. No, it's just, mark my words, it's just going to happen. And, and it's, there's no theory behind the conspiracy. You are now 
so intellectually bereft if you're coming from that place that you there's it's hard to move forward. And one of the things we can do as leaders and stuff with an organization is demand accusation does not equal evidence. Mm-hmm. And so to, we embrace evidence-based thinking here. You must provide evidence for the stuff you assert. Because we haven't modeled these behaviors nor demanded that from the people around us in the public forum, weirdos can get on the web and weirdo politicians can get elected that just say stuff that's just impossible. That's just, it's, it's impossible. And they get away with it because our populace will accept those kinds of bad, and I can't even call them arguments. They're just right. bald assertions based on nothing. Right. So as a leader in an organization, I think engaging when necessary is, is certainly important. You know, if people have legitimate concerns, get to the bottom of them. If people have fears and, you know, you as, a, as an organization or a leader are hiding stuff, yeah, they're going to rely on some of this flawed or baseless sense-making that we've been talking about. I think also, you know, getting to know your people is important, uh, just as a basic leadership thing, you know? Uh, Leadership is fundamentally about relationships that you have with the people around you, and to the degree that people think that, you know, you care about them and value what they do, they're going to, you know, have a higher quality relationship with you, and they're uh, going to reciprocate by working harder and being more committed and so forth. These these are, this is a kind of the way it works. Um, but you know, getting to know your people is important because then you, know, you can know what are their concerns? What are they scared of? You know, conspiracy theories, as we mentioned earlier, can be particularly attractive to those people who are feeling afraid. They feel powerless. They, you know, if you, you can imagine, you know, if you've been in a job for a couple decades, maybe where you've never had any power, every leader you've had has just, uh, you know, in, in your mind conspired against you, done unethical things um, to, you know, suck more life out of you and get more work out of you for the least amount of return, then yeah, you're, you're going to be very attracted to these ideas of conspiracies um, because it makes sense to the world. It says, yeah, this is why things are messed up because there's a secret group. Um, so those are some things that you can do as a leader in an organization. I'd like to Maybe we can draw our attention now to a great article that we came across in uh, MIT Technology Review, and we'll, we'll post a link to this one in the, in the show notes as well. And this article is how to talk to conspiracy theorists and has some good suggestions that maybe we can share with our listeners. This comes from uh, July 15th of 2020, so it's a relatively recent article. And let's talk through some of these things, because as I mentioned, you know, we <laughs> We, we all know some of these people, I think. And I, I think fundamentally, and this is number one in their list of how to talk to a conspiracy theorist, is speaking respectfully. And what it says in the article, they say they suggest always, always speak respectfully. Um, and I, I think that it's important to keep that in mind because, you know, <laughs> you get farther with honey than you do with vinegar. Uh, and I see a lot of vinegar out there these days. Yeah, you earn good faith. I know I engage in debates on online, and I it's something that I enjoy, but it's something that I think is as required as a civic duty. When you see baloney out there, you have to say, wait a minute, I I hear what you're saying, but where's the evidence for that? Right? Mm-hmm. Something you could do is direct message somebody off of the public forum so they, they're less defensive when they're one-on-one than when their public reputation is at risk. Right. right? Um, so you think about, you know, hey, I, 
And it could be fairness. What evidence do you have for that? I, yeah. I just don't find that evidence compelling because of the following reasons. Now, I think online forum discussion can have different rules. So, for instance, we know from the data that 10% of people that post generate or, or that are on a forum generate 90% of the content. Most people are just passively viewing. So if your interactions in the public forum are not only to try to reach out to that person, but also be compelling and convincing to people who might be on the border of dipping into radicalized land, conspiracy theory land. Mm -hmm. Well, you can do a broader, you know, you can actually punch above your weight on social media, which is a cool data tool that people that aren't engaged in conspiracy thinking can use to have a bigger impact, right? Right. Yeah. And so, you know, we mentioned that conspiracy theories have been around forever. Uh, but one thing that is different now in recent years is that, you know, with social media, information can spread much more quickly. So interestingly, like if you do some of the research in this area, you know, there's an area of research on information propagation in terms of how messaging gets spread out throughout our um, society. And Social media certainly can accelerate that and can give a, a bigger microphone to to people. Um, and as you mentioned, you know, the communication in public forums on the web can be very tricky. And I always think think about uh, Godwin's law or Godwin's uh, rule, right? Which is um, it's an internet adage, right? And we'll post a link to this in the show notes as well. So he was a an attorney and author, and um, he, he he one time stated that. You know, if an online discussion, regardless of topic or scope, goes on long enough, sooner or later, someone will compare someone or something to Adolf Hitler or his deeds uh, at the point at which effectively the discussion or thread ends. Right. Um, and you, you do see this, you know, some people will either and if it's not, you know, a, a Nazi analogy, it'll be something else that's similar where, uh, you know, there'll be these ad hominem attacks and so forth that will be unproductive to the overall conversation. So. Um, keep that in mind. I think respect is is helpful. Going private. This was a you mentioned this, and this is another point brought up in this article about how to talk to conspiracy theorists. And you know, when you take something into a one-on-one -on -one communication versus in front of other people, it takes that social pressure away. Um, because when we are either talking, you know, in a group, uh, or if we are uh, posting online there's this public face that we're trying to maintain and it's a lot harder psychologically for us to say, oops, yeah, you're probably right. You know, um, I didn't really think that much before I posted that. Or they'll just ignore you, but then they'll sure. change their view because of like, somebody will call me on my baloney later. Right. <laughs> um, right. One of the things is they talk about this article. That's really good. That will spring off of is you can ask people, what would it take to change your mind? Mm. Um, I do this with people that deny climate change. I say, okay, what what experiment hasn't been done to date that that really needs to be done to show that this is true or false? And most of the time, they'll run away sad. You know, they're like, oh, duh. you know. But some of them will say something, and I can just go to Google Scholar and put. And I, generally, I'm like, look here, that 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 experiment's already been done twenty times. Mm -hmm. Um, I see this with some soldiers that don't want to take the vaccine because it's not mandatory yet. Well, just more people need to to take it. OK, well, there was thirty five thousand people in the Moderna case study, and we've given five like over five million. I think it's five point two million some odd doses. 
um, in the U.S. thus far. And you mm-hmm. and I don't say that. Sometimes, how many would you need to take it? Like a million? Yeah, good. We're at five million. So line up and get your vaccine. Mm-hmm. Um, or but the real problem is it is a methodological error of their thinking, right? Mm-hmm. I don't feel comfortable with this now. What would it take to be feel comfortable? I don't know. I'm just waiting on my emotions to catch up. We can't. And, and with as complex as our society is, we can't just go on feelings alone. You know, what, what's that Ben Shapiro quote? Facts don't care about your feelings. And we'll leave the problems of Ben Shapiro aside, but they they don't. The facts don't care. And so, you know, when you say, OK, well, one million, why would one million be enough? Why not four million? Mm-hmm. Why not three million? And then you can say, like, hey, listen, I I sympathize. I empathize with how you're feeling right now. But the way you're going about this isn't disciplined thought process. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, another tactic you could potentially consider, again, drawing from this article, is trying a, the truth sandwich, right? Where you state a fact and then, uh, you know, mention the fallacy and then a fact. So, you know, this is an interesting approach. You know, so, for example, there was one uh, conspiracy about how 5G um, you know, was causing uh, the spread of coronavirus or something like that, right? And, you know, what they suggest in this article is you could structure your argument such as, and I'm quoting, uh, coronavirus is an airborne virus, which means it is passed by sneezing, coughing, or particles. Because viruses are not transmitted via radio waves, coronavirus, which is an airborne virus, can't be carried by 5G, right? Um, so that can be a way perhaps to structure some of your arguments. That's always a downer. I, I was always <laughs> that guy at the party and somebody says something and you're like, that's just absolutely not true. What? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, cause of this. And then they're like, man, like, why? Like, I don't know. Like in there, yeah, is, I bet you're a lot of fun at cocktail parties. There is studies. <laughs> there is studies about bullshit. Okay. And I use that term, not in the potty mouth kind of way but as an actual term about people that just spew stuff without evidence and people one what we learned from the bullshit studies and now i'll have to put some in more in the show notes it's gonna be a challenging show notes episode but is that bullshit doesn't thrive where facts and truth are valued right and so if, if you create a culture with your organization team society that just doesn't put up with people spewing whatever without any fact checks without mm-hmm. it. Oh, well, who that the fact, the fact checkers are just a bunch of liberals with cats sitting on their you know couch eating Cheetos. Well, what does that have to do with the fact? Mm-hmm. You know, that's an ad hominem attack. Like you've got to learn these different pieces, but you know, we can stop this by insisting, insisting on evidence every step of the way. Right. And I would encourage our, our listeners to go check out the episode that we did with Rob Reiner, all about evidence-based practice, evidence-based management. Awesome. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's a, that way of thinking can be applied much more broadly uh, outside of management, leadership, HR, all that kind of stuff. Um, and it's helpful, right? Because like you said, you know, the, the BS doesn't thrive or can't thrive in an environment in which facts, truth are, are valued. Um, so create that that culture in your organization. You know, how do we determine what is truth in in our organization? What is our kind of our cultural norm around that? that that's a helpful way to think about it. You know, sometimes the sub, you know, the the bus has already left the station. That guy, you're never getting them out of that whatever conspiracy. 
But one of the things that I've noticed anecdotally about conspiracies is they become less important the further we get away from them. There's probably some Revolutionary Wars conspiracies that we'll never hear about because nobody cares. We're not at the Revolutionary War. Mm -hmm. How important right now is, is the moon landing fake or not? I don't know. We got a billion satellites up there running my Google Maps GPS style, you know, <laughs> like it, it's kind of it just becomes less and less important. So sometimes the bus has already left the station. That person is going to go. And I call this the clawback. And, and uh, I, I'm sure somebody else smarter thought about it. This is just kind of in my experiments with people as OK. Let's say. That's true. Let's say it's all about killing Joe Biden so Kamala can be the real president. If Joe Biden did two full terms and that didn't happen, what would need to change in your evidence gathering and thinking for you to avoid that error in the future? <laughs> right? You know, because a lot of these will have a timeline, right? And you'll see these in cults. And this is as somebody who has been was raised in a quasi evangelical cult. Uh, my apologies for the good and evangelicals out there. You're all not cult members. I know. Uh, but as for somebody that came out of that background, there would be forecasts about God coming back at a certain date. And then it would pass and they'd be like, oh, we missed it. It was actually five more years down the road. I can I still have a speaking and book deal? <laughs> you know, Gosh. and and you and but right. I mean, this is like we have had times cult members in the U.S. that get together. We have that term drink the Kool-Aid where everybody drank poison Kool-Aid so they could go to the alien mothership or, you know, we have these is why these things are dangerous. And we kind of chuckle about them. But I want to say that this stuff is about life and death. And if our entire society globally cannot have discussions based on facts, we are doomed now. Thankfully, enough people hold on to facts and give a rip that we're not quite at that place yet. But let us not play with fire. Right. right. So when the bus has left the station with a dear friend, uncle, family member, somebody in society and say, OK, well, let's just write this one down. Here's what's going to happen and why. And then ask them to do some. Hey, they're already conspiracy minded. So their imagination's pretty good. Right. If this doesn't happen. What will you change in how you think and perceive the world so you're not so wrong in the yeah. future? I mean, I could imagine that working to some degree with some people. I think with some others, it won't work. And the reason that it won't work with everyone is that, you know, you mentioned the cult mentality. And I think that that is something that's going on with some conspiracy theories. You know, there is a... I, you know, just getting on maybe a little bit of a tangent here, but, you know, I, I think in, in American society and perhaps society around the, in other parts of the world as well, you know, the various pieces of our social fabric that keep us together, um, you know, for me, it's, it's certainly my Catholic faith uh, with, uh, you know, other civic organizations, participation in other types of activities that bind us together and have us working and, you know, worshiping or doing whatever alongside people who may have different political views, those types of ties have weakened over the decades. And that creates an environment in which there's an increased appetite and attraction to something that can bind me to other people. So if I'm feeling angry, I'm feeling powerless, I'm afraid, and there's a global pandemic, and the, the, the wrong people on the wrong side are doing things, and it's making me mad, 
I will seek like-minded people. It's part of our human nature. And if, if I don't have those other social social uh, fabric pieces to to bring me into some something that's productive, yeah, these conspiracy theories can become your religion. Um, politics can become your religion. Uh, you know, and that I think is dangerous. And that is part of what's contributing to some of the the nastiness that we see in the world today. Yeah. It, I mean, as good as the Lawfare blog is, it's not worth your faith. <laughs> <laughs> and, but here's the thing I see is the people that are really smart on this stuff, they get it's almost like, oh, did you see that article that I published in Politico? You know, and and they're having a conversation amongst really smart people. Meanwhile, people who maybe went into one of the trades or has to work two jobs or, you know, they have a variety of things. We we leave these people out in the dark. You know, one yeah. of the theories I have for why doctors and lawyers are so respected is because of a lot of towns, but pre-internet, they might have been the only person with a graduate degree in that town. Sure. And so you'd go see a doctor and lawyer for any old question. Hey, I read this in the paper. What do you think? Because they had had training in, like, especially if you're a lawyer, an argument, mm -hmm. right? And we need to pass those skills down to people that aren't going to crack, you know, the greatest hits on dialectic from Greek times to the present. They're not going to crack <laughs> that book. But yes, what? They need those skills on dialectic. And they also need civic engagement. Um, an article that I will put in the show notes talks about one of the biggest predictors of civic engagement is socioeconomic status. Mm. And so if you're at the bottom just hustling, you believe I'm self-reliant, I'm going to pay my own way, pay my own taxes, you know, you're... These are people that aren't, they don't have one. They don't have, a, a lot of them don't have the leisure time right. to get civically engaged. Two, they don't have a mental model. These are good people with great ideas. You want to do policy? If you're on the left, you want to do policy that benefits the poor and you haven't been poor and you haven't really gone down and done focus groups and really get in the sauce with the poor. Well, your, your best laid intentions are going to go awry. But right. the problem is, is you got the people, some of these people at a lower level of socioeconomic stuff, and there's a lot of different lenses. Don't stone me for not bringing every lens on this issue. But if they don't know how to organize to affect policy to actually help them on the things that it's like, you know what? You gave me a hammer, but really I needed a screwdriver. And this mm -hmm. is what a screwdriver looked like. It needed to have a red handle, be eight and a half inches long. You know, they have very specific ideas about what would help them and be meaningful to them. Well, we we are failing as a society to not equip people with civic engagement. Another piece of this thing is, you know, we're kind of lazy as humans. If everything's going good, we're not like, you know, I'm going to phone my congressman right now. <laughs> it, it's only when we're like, yeah, I'm so <laughs> angry. Where's my, and I'm going to send emails and I'm going to like, I'm going to just post articles that I didn't even fully read. I'm just going to click share on them on Facebook. You know, you, you alert, alert. They're angry. They're angry. Right. Well, it is hard to maintain civic engagement across the long term. Something gets people riled up. They do it. Now, the problem is, is we've got a section of our society that doesn't know how to organize to impact policy and laws and things that will help them. 
and they have low civic engagement because, you know, everything's been a kick in the pants. Nobody gives a rip. It's just easy to just run rip yeah. shot. Well, we also have a political system that rewards people and elects people who don't have policy ideas in general. Right. <laughs> well, that's, that, that's been some of the, the new right stuff that's written yeah. about. Like, So we have post theory conspiracy. Like it's just a conspiracy without any theory behind it. We now have post policy politicians mm -hmm. and that, that that all they do is play on cultural grievances or whatever is the latest. They probably have, a, you know, an analytics team that says, well, what, what's trending now on Google? OK, yeah. that's what I'll say. And that's it. But that doesn't. That doesn't get policy done over the long haul. And mm -hmm. and all that to say is low engagement. Bad leadership that takes advantage of people causes uncertainty, distrust that causes lack of faith in institution leaders that causes massive conspiracy thinking. And now we want a real uh, it, this isn't even putting the cat in the bag. This is putting eight rabid cats that have been squirted with water guns into the bag <laughs> and they all have to go in at the same time. Like that's that's what we're dealing with. Now, really important, were they squirted with your your faulty um false advertising? <laughs> yes, water with gun? my false advertisement <laughs> water gun. But the, the whole the whole point is, guys, we didn't get here overnight. Now, this conspiracy thinking is something that's just baked into our creative humanity. It's a positive. We need creativity to make the science that's gonna make life better for tomorrow. But we didn't get here overnight. But it's going to take a concerted effort. One, yeah. you got to get, how do you address these conspiracy theories? Right? You've got to know that. And then you got to start doing. And, then, right. and the final thing I'll go, so I, like, I just don't talk all the whole time. And Ben, Ben's over here is like, God, when are you going to shut up, Chris? <laughs> and and the, the other piece is you got to make civic engagement a part of your life practice. You know, if you make sure you work out every day or if you go to the yoga studio once a week, you need to have a commitment to some kind of civic engagement that's not just when you're hacked off about stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We get the world that we that we participate in. So, um, you know, I think just to kind of bring this down the home stretch a little bit, you know, today we talked about conspiracy theories. We tried to share a little bit of the the research and thought behind conspiracy theories. Um, and, you know, bringing this back to an organizational context and some things that you can do as a leader and as an organization to help with the conversations, with to help with the thinking that's going on in our society have to do with being a good role model. Don't participate in this stuff um, and find some smart ways to engage with it when you see it. Uh, we will have a number of resources, as we've already mentioned, in the show notes for you to check out. Um, but this is something where, you know, we as a society or even you as a leader in your organization, you will get what you tolerate around you. And when you tolerate uh, these types of, of ideas and when you tolerate um, bad faith arguments, uh, that's what you're going to get. So uh, we all have an ability. And I think, as you mentioned, Chris, an obligation to get engaged to make the world a better place. We can do that starting at a home. We can do that starting in our organizations and then get out there in civic society. 
Thanks for listening to the Indigo Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider helping us by rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, telling your friends about us, having us on your podcast, or mentioning us on social media. Our website is www.indigopodcast.com, where you can access more information about us and this episode. Thanks again, and we look forward to talking with you again soon.